Hey, welcome to season two, episode number four of the Daniel Floyd Leadership Podcast, where we are all about inspiring leaders to become more. We get to hear from a friend of mine today, Pastor Jeff Little. He pastors Milestone Church in Keller, Texas. That's in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, and he's been there for 20 years. Longevity and integrity are some of the rarest virtues these days, and I think you'll see Jeff has both. He's a husband, a dad, an author. His latest book, The Way to Win, is something we're going to dive into today. And I think what you'll see in Jeff is his commitment to building the people right in front of him and training leaders to reach their God-given potential, something that challenges and encourages me, and I think you'll feel the same. If you enjoy this episode, please rate, review, share it with someone you know, leave a comment. It helps so, so much. And if you want exclusive leadership content and show notes sent straight to your inbox, you can head over to danielfloyd.org. We hope you enjoy today's conversation. Hey, I'm excited to have my friend, Pastor Jeff Little from Milestone Church in Keller, Texas with us today. Planted 20 years ago in 2002. It's a phenomenal church, multi-site church. He's an author, husband, incredible leader, has some of the largest animals hanging on his wall that I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> He's a gifted communicator of God's word. And Jeff, excited to have you today. Thank you so much. I'm awesome. excited to be here. I remember coming to your <laughs> church. And uh, you were like, you got to see my conference room. <laughs> I was telling somebody about this the other day. Yeah. And there was a full-size stuffed bear. Yeah. Yeah. In the conference room. In Texas, you get extra credit for that. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, I love it. It, it, elevates, it. it elevates your influence in Texas. <laughs> might, might hurt you in some places, but in Texas, you get extra credit. <laughs> Amazing. I love to start out where it all kind of began for your church, that season of your life. How'd you know you wanted to plant a church? Why Keller, Texas? How'd you get to that place? Maybe even pre that, yeah. we'll feed into that story. I have a unique story in the sense that I was called to ministry at an early age. Mm -hmm. My parents were not in ministry, so I really had an experience at my church. My mom, who had a little bit of a challenged family background, walked to a missionary Baptist church where she gave her life to Christ. And my dad had a guy in a church give him a Bible that he read the book of Proverbs. So my parents were first generation. Christians that took me to church. And I love church. And I, I heard really a message on salvation, gave my life to Christ six months later, had an encounter with the Holy Spirit where I felt called to ministry and honestly really didn't know what that meant. I think leadership is something that's a gift, but also something you can develop. For me personally, I think I had some gifting in this area. No matter where I was at, I, I would influence and lead others. And yet I didn't think that gift could be used in church. So I was a little hesitant to respond to the call because I thought it put me in a specific bucket. So I know we have people listening that are maybe exploring ministry or business. And, and I think, of course, all of us are called to ministry of, of reconciliation. And yet what I would say to maybe a young person listening you're not less of a leader or a minister should you go into business or marketing, be a mom or be a dad or whatever it is. But I do think that I always love to champion the cause of the local church, that if you're a young person who thinks, well, 
I really want to go for it. I want to do great things that you can't use your gift in the church. I'm an example of someone God got a hold of early. Mm. I actually am also weird in the sense that I planted our church at 28 years old, but I'd already pastored three other churches. I started preaching in my home church at 16. So how old were you when you felt the call to ministry? I was 12. Yeah. 12. 12. Started My pastor let me preach at 16. Pastored my first church at 21. Planted a church that I, I pastored for three years, turned it over, and then transitioned a church in West Texas for about three years. It was a church that had already been established. Mm-hmm. Long story short, I knew at some point probably in my 20s as I was pastoring that I wanted to start a church. I submitted planning a church about three or four years before I actually started the church with my pastors and relationships. The men that I walk with today are the same men that I've been walking with. If you have no one in your life that can Mm -hmm. tell you no, you are in a dangerous place. You never just drive off in the ditch. You drift. <laughs> you drift into the ditch, right? Yeah. So who's there when you get on that bumpy part? He's <laughs> like, hey, dude, you know. So your mom walked to church. Yeah. That's yeah. so powerful. Yeah, just up the road from what her an incredible house. lady. Prayed me into the kingdom, right? Yeah. Prayed for me. Thank God for the moms and grandmas that prayed most of us into this yeah, thing, no right? Doubt. Yeah, That's powerful. Yeah. You felt a call to ministry. Yeah, People have a calling. I think sometimes they exclude themselves from calling because yeah. they think it's only ministry. Right. You could be very well called to be a business person. You could be called to, mm-hmm. you know, athletics, whatever it may be. Talk a little bit about that because I think calling is the anchor mm-hmm. in our life. I know last few years, calling is what kept me Yes. through the crazy period we've all walked through. Preach. And so I think it's so powerful that people go, no, I, I can have a calling. The day you're probably the strongest and most resilient and really able to weather storms and probably the most fruitful is the day you have no one to impress and nothing to prove, but you're actually just stewarding the call God's given That's great. you. You say, how do you have a lot of fruit? How do you make a big impact? Well, it doesn't start with the desire to make an impact. It starts with the desire to steward what you've been given. That's mm. where Genesis starts. Steward the garden. Abraham, you can bless the nations of the world, but I want you to first build a family. So we live in a world today that talks a lot about blessing and doing great things, but at the end of the day, it comes from building a family that you're able to bless the nations of the world. As I talk to people today about calling, whatever type of calling, it's sort of this subtle or even great pressure from culture. What you're thinking about or what you're doing is not significant or it's not significant enough or what if I miss it? Mm-hmm. You know, it really paralyzes people. Yeah. I do think for every one of us, though, there will be an inner sense. There will be maybe a prayer night or a fasting time where you just sense, man, I feel God. But I think the other thing that's many times missing, whether you're a business person or a pastor or a student, my question is, who's your pastor and where do you go to church? You know, we live in a world today, well, God spoke to me. I'm supposed to be a rock star. You know, <laughs> God spoke to me. I'm supposed to be a church planner. Well, if you take the scriptural precedent, God spoke to Moses, but he also used his father-in-law. The apostle Paul, I would say he's got to be up there in the top. I heard from God people <laughs> yeah. on the planet, wrote most of the New Testament, knocked off his horse and, you know, saw Jesus personally, you know, but he still sent him to Ananias. So I don't know that sense of calling and purpose is our problem today. I think a lot of people at some point have a sense or an idea or I like this, but I think it's 
It's really the people who actually can confirm that calling. Mm. I didn't know. I just, my pastor said, do you want to preach? I said, okay. So I started, it was terrible, right? <laughs> yeah. You just start where you are and you just start walking with others. I just can't say it enough. God does have a plan for you. He does have a calling for you, does have a purpose for you. And all of it's significant. Mm. All of it's important. But at the end of the day, don't get too consumed with even that. God's big enough to redirect you. Just steward what's in your hand today. Yeah. Just steward that. The next right thing. The next right thing, yeah. yeah. I love what you said that we want the blessing, don't want to build the family. Mm -hmm. And so we make it so grand, the mm -hmm. thing I got to do, but the grand things are made up of the small steps along the way. It's not the flashy things. Yes. It's consistency compounds. Mm -hmm. It's the right thing over and over. And then one day people are like, wow, where'd they come from? Very true. It's like, no, it's not overnight. It's not overnight. Never overnight. No. Today, the world wants to give us a measure of what is success. Mm -hmm. And many times we feel a pressure to hit that target. And it's not even what we really feel fulfilled in. It's not even what we want. It's not even what we'll care about one day when we get to the end of our life. Right. Yeah. I, I love how the way God's made you and the way he's gifted you and where there's fruit in your life when you mix stewardship with that. It's not that it's easy, but it is fulfilling. And you will believe it's significant unless you get online and find out somebody said it's not. <laughs> right. That's so true. <laughs> Let's talk about that faithfulness in ministry, faithfulness in general. Talk about your why for staying rooted in a community. Talk about maybe a time you've been tempted to throw in the towel. Number one, you know, it's back to the, you said it, the calling, right? And the mm -hmm. call... I have to go back to the word. My dad's favorite phrase, the word says. And I used to think he was like kind of wooden, but that's, that's, I grew up in a home where my dad got a Bible. He read Proverbs. It changed his life on wisdom. He didn't have a dad. His dad died in a car accident when he was nine years old. Wow. So I'm amazed at the supernatural dad he was to me when he didn't have a dad wow. because he got the wisdom from the word. So I want to go back to the that's great. I want to go back to the, what's, what's the Bible say? That's my favorite thing among young people today. I appreciate what all you've picked up. What's the Bible actually say? Not what we wanted to say. Mm -hmm. What does it say? I got my view of the church, my view of people as a kid from the word, right? Mm -hmm. Jesus loves the one. Jesus loves people. Jesus is building his church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. So I'm like, hey, if that's what Jesus is building, then I want to build that with him. Mm -hmm. So I sold my agenda my life, I actually have sold everything I have a couple of times and said, I just want to serve your church. I just want to serve your people. And, yeah. you know, First Peter tells us that we're to shepherd the flock of God. You know, that's, that's my calling. So for me, I, A, one, have that from the word. So I not only now at my phase of life say, I have loved serving Jesus's church. I love his people. I don't want to be famous to a bunch of people who don't know me and not famous to the people who know me best. I want I want the people who know me best to respect me the most. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. And so for me, uh, it's the greatest privilege of my life to serve the people that I get to pastor, you know, and you say, where did I get endurance? I mean, I had a lot of challenges along the way. I'm playing a church in a furniture store in a little small town and, you know, an area no one would know. Pastored in a phone company behind you know, a bar. I mean, I've served Jesus's church in multiple contexts yeah. and multiple demographics. And what I've really learned is if we preach the word and we serve others and love them, 
and really care more about what we want for them than what we want from them. Mm-hmm. This will work in a company too, by the way. Yeah. It'll work with your kids. This ain't a genius church strategy. Right. It's God's strategy. Everybody's trying to build a great company or build a great church. Build the people. They'll build the church. That's what God made them to do. Yeah. They'll build their companies, their families, their church. They'll build. Your job is build them. For me, I've just I've just done that since I was 21 years old. And yeah. you're right. When you go through this recent season we went through, when it's all stripped away, it kind of takes you back to the basics of what really matters. Yeah. <laughs> but I think, too, sometimes we don't do that because it's the long game approach. Yeah. I was having a conversation at dinner last night with some friends. We were talking about some people that are on our team now. That started Saturday mornings at Starbucks. Right. When they were 19. Exactly. And now they're leading large parts of our organization. Mm-hmm. It's the long game. But it's the best fruit. Yes. And it's the best way to build. And I think it builds stability. It builds legacy. Yes. You know, why am I the pastor of a church in the same area and loving those people and completely happy with it? It's for 20 years. For 20 years because it's the winning strategy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, also it's in my heart. So good. Let's talk about your book. Your latest one, The Way to Win, it's a coaching resource specifically for men. I think works outside of men, works for everybody. It's not just theory. It's a book you wrote out of experience over the years, building people, getting feedback and honing this content down. What was the impetus of that? What birthed that whole? Yeah, that's a great question. Thanks for asking. And yes, I have a lot of very amazing female leaders within our team and my Mm -hmm. wife's a part and stuff. So the book, actually, a lot of them read, but I wrote it to men because I will say there are some unique things that they deal with and face that I wanted to coach them specifically. And we also know when men flourish, the entire family flourishes, right? Mm-hmm. Because they they just create this ethos that fosters health. So I knew I had to reach men in my community. And I am a man. I'm a pastor. I want to reach these men. And it was birthed out of us moving there. I pastor in Dallas-Fort Worth. The people you watch on television preach there, right? So yeah. <laughs> I, I have those as they they actually are friends and mentors. So I, we're not in competition, but still, yeah. you know, why are you going to come to my cafetorium and check in at their church with <laughs> when retinal? You go see Bishop Jakes. You go see Bishop Jakes and <laughs> go, go check in with retinal eye scan at their building. And the Smiths are here today. <laughs> you know, it's like, hey, we got a hallway over here if y'all want to put your kids in it. <laughs> Some foam flooring we just set up. Exactly. (laughs) So I realized I wasn't going to out-preach some of those people, right? Some of the best communicators in the world. And so for me, how am I going to reach these guys? And then I also recognize the shift in culture, just like people listening to this podcast driving to work today or wherever they're at. I recognize that content was more readily available to us. Mm -hmm. What wasn't more readily available is the coaching side that we need you know, content is helpful, but coaching is also extremely powerful. So I try to do like a men's breakfast. Nobody came. I I improved the food. Nobody came. And what I realized was that I recently completed my doctorate degree and I spent three years actually doing empirical research on the subject, churches across America, Mm. also studying 600 subject men who had been through this process that I've developed as to how it impacted their life. 
Here's what I learned. Number one, I don't have to give the statistics of men and the need for men and families. You know, no one listening to this podcast who's praying for their husband or praying for their son or asking God for a godly husband or kids that pray for their dads. You know, no one has to be convinced about how important their role is. What we need is, is to realize that as I survey these churches, we may not be using the right formula to get them where we're called to go. They, they, they have plenty of entertainment, they have plenty mm-hmm. of hobbies, and they have access to things. What I realized was the life coaching industry has exploded, where men are paying thousands of dollars to get like specific help with where they're at. So I just basically started long game. I said, well, we may have some men's night. Not against that. May yeah. have men's breakfast. May have a men's message. May have men's content. But... The number one thing I can do is take 10 or 12 of these guys and say, hey, let me, number one, want more for you than I want from you. Mm Because most of those guys are hesitant to church because they think the church wants something from them and doesn't have anything for them. Second thing that I gave them was I want to make you rich where you're poor. Because what I've learned in many, many years of doing this, that one first group of 10 or 12 guys, I've done it for 20 years, right? So me wow. and the other guys. So I've, I got quite a bit of experience. Mm-hmm. 600 guys I've studied empirically through my doctorate degree. What I've really realized is that guy wants to win at being a, a husband or a dad, but they've only been taught how to close a deal or how to shoot an animal or make a birdie. Men gravitate to what they win at. Okay. That's what they do. Mm. And I, I came up with this idea, this analogy of a scoreboard, right? That we all have a scoreboard. Get around a group of guys. They got a scoreboard. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Bottom line. It don't matter what it is. Right. So what'd you get? What'd you get? What'd you get? You know? Yeah. You're talking about my trophy room. Scoreboard, right? Yeah. You were intimidated by the time you came. <laughs> <laughs> by the time I put you under the bear, you 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 had insecurities that you didn't know. Okay. <laughs> So we have a scoreboard. The only problem is it's net worth. You make trades in life. And the the person that is the most depressed and pain person in the world is the person who actually gets it, only to find that it can't deliver. Mm -hmm. So scoreboard. And the worst thing in life is not to have less points on the scoreboard, but to light up a scoreboard and really realize you were playing the wrong game. Yeah. Because you've moved towards your pitcher. Mm-hmm. What's your picture? Yeah. A big church or net worth or whatever. Of course, some of those things are relevant. We need to steward what God's given us, but that's not ultimately. Yeah. A picture ultimately is when I'm on my deathbed, my natural children, which I have four of, who there's no greater joy than for a father than your children walk in truth, right? So mm-hmm. I know there's people out there praying for their kids and I'm praying with you. Yeah. My natural children. And my spiritual children, sons and daughters, say to me, thank you for what you gave us. We got it from here. Mm. So if I hit that scoreboard, I'm the winner of the game. Yeah. Some people think, man, do you lead a small group? You might think I just preach, you know, preach. Um, (laughs) (laughs) We're preachers. You know, it's like some of us preachers are, you know, only loved by people on the platform. They almost like stay on the platform so we don't have to really deal with you. Yeah. I want to be a church, be at my church where they actually like when I come off the platform. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I just started a small group with business guys in a community over from ours that I don't know any of them but one. 
I've done mm. done two small groups with them using the Way to Win resource book, yeah. which the book itself, you're like, what is it? I think any man should read it. It's going to help you personally because mm-hmm. I, I took the areas of 20 years and found the places they want help in. So it isn't like me just sitting in my study. It's yeah. a working book right. that I've worked with them. During my doctorate program, I actually let those men use it during the doctorate and give me feedback on what was working as they did things mm. with men. So it's it's been a group project, really. Yeah, yeah. But I just started this group, and, man, it was powerful. You know, I know it sounds bad because I'm the author, right? But I feel like it's a group thing. <laughs> the content was amazing. The, the content was powerful, man. It's like <laughs> dripping off the thing like honey. Anyway, I feel like it was unique in the sense that I do have other books that I think I was trying to get a message across. Mm. What I feel like in this book is I'm trying to help solve a problem. Wow. And the problem is men need help in areas that they don't want to tell others that they need help in because they're supposed to already know it. Mm-hmm. Number one insecure area, 20 years of leading men's small groups. Do you pray with your wife? Man, I don't. I, isn't it amazing? I'm a pastor, even myself, like growing in that area. I pray. I'm a professional prayer. <laughs> You know what I mean? And then it'd be like, I need to pray with her. And it'd be like, man, let's just, you know, we're busy. Let's do whatever, you know, like the need to have some accountability with other men to mm-hmm. go, but actually she should be my first prayer, you know? Right. In my group this week, in fact, so there was just guys that are just like, man, I said, well, what would happen if you just reached over and grabbed her hand and said, honey, hey, before we go to bed at night, like, I just, I just want to pray with you. Is like, there anything that you're, you're struggling with? Is there anything I could just lift you up in prayer about? One guy's like, my wife probably fall out. We don't even believe in that. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, it's like how powerful that is. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? So if it, I believe that guy's going to do it. I'm going to meet with him next week. But his wife, can you imagine her response if he actually did that, which mm-hmm. he told me he was? Her whole demeanor toward him. Right. She's going to think, man, what happened to you? Yeah. And you know what happened to him? He got with some other guys. Number one comment I get, number one comment, I have nowhere else in my life where I can talk about this stuff. Mm. Like there's nowhere else in his life that's going to say, did you pray with your wife? Right. Can I help you learn to pray with your wife? It's going to be, did you close the sale? Did you close the sale? Did you hit your metric? Yeah. And you, it's, there's no other place like that. So good. Mm-hmm. Tell our people, you were made for more than get to the weekend to accumulate enough weekends to get to vacation, mm-hmm. to accumulate enough years to get to retirement. But it's the, how do I get there then? Mm-hmm. How do I do that? Because you're so right. They want to do it. So in the book, I have a section for them that I think is the first section is the aha moment. Yes, there's the principle in the Bible of deny yourself, right? The gospel message is we're crucified with Christ. It's not about us. But on the other hand, you know, it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. So there's also the stewardship principles of Scripture that we want to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Mm-hmm. So it's both and. Like most things in the Bible, it's a paradox. Yeah. Die to yourself, but you yourself spiritually need to be sanctified and grow because Christ is using yeah. this vessel. Yeah. So they've never had that side of it. You know what? What atmosphere do you have to think about you and how you're doing because you can't give what you don't have? Mm-hmm. It's an aha moment. They want to know the word, but no man wants to say, you know how many men are intimidated to like pray in a group setting or 
you know, they come to a church like ours and we say, man, you need to really be spiritually leading in your home and set the tone, man, and pray with your wife and like encourage your kids. And they want to do that, but they don't know how to do that. Yeah. Right. So I gave them kind of cliff notes on the Bible and then I hit the issues that I know they have. A man who really does what he does every day and knows why God called him to it and mm-hmm. does it for the kingdom, my, it's explosive it's what God yeah. does. And then the final thing is the legacy mm-hmm. and multiplication of your life. You have so much to offer, and I want to show you how you can offer that to mm-hmm. not only the people around you, but the next generation coming yeah. behind you as well. They want they want to see their kids walk in the fullness of their purpose. Mm-hmm. And so those are just some thoughts about the the book. So good. We've talked calling, talked building other people, talked about winning at the right things. I think all these things that they just translate beyond church, transcend just ministry. I want to end with one question. Okay. What do you think the greatest threat are to leaders today? What do you think the greatest opportunity is? Well, I think we talked about the threats, right? Mm -hmm. I think the greatest threat today is there's a term, a sociological term that wasn't even part of our culture. Think about how our culture has changed, right? If Mm -hmm. you told someone, you know, 40 years ago, here's bottled water, right? Or, you know, (laughs) did you update your iPhone? You know, here's a sociological term that wouldn't been around 50 years ago, crowded loneliness, Wow. Crowded loneliness. So Mother Teresa before dying, you know, was saying like loneliness is the leprosy of the current world. Hmm. Because we don't have to go to a wise mentor or a pastor or to our grandparents to get information. We don't even have to go, you know, literacy. We don't have to go to the encyclopedia. I had encyclopedias in my bedroom. Yes. You know what I mean? And the mm-hmm. things I'm talking about for leaders today and those who lead others, I think our biggest threat is in a world where I can get access to information does information equal development and discipleship? Mm. Because as you know, yeah. the cliche, it's caught, not taught. Yeah. You know, Jesus, he went and prayed that they might be with him, mm-hmm. right? So I think, you know, crowded loneliness, I'm around more people, but I don't have anyone in my life that I think really cares about me or mm. I don't even know if they would like the real me if they knew the real me and who I really am. So like that's why today I would say the greatest opportunity on a relational standpoint is authenticity is just massive today mm. because I'm around people, but I lower my garage. I don't see those people. Mm-hmm. And actually today, just just simple authenticity I like to say three concepts that I think every leader, if you're a a CEO, a manager, a young person, lead a small group, whatever, three words that are in rare combination, authenticity, intentionality, and sincerity. Because you can can have authenticity and they'll be like, well, they're really real, but I don't really know where they're going, right? (laughs) (laughs) I love you, but I don't know if I can follow you. Yeah. So if you'll have intentionality, meaning you'll get better at what you do, You'll be intentional about what you do, mm-hmm. and you'll you'll try to think about them to help them become better at what they do. But you're real and you're authentic. That's a refreshing thing. But I think I always add sincerity. Sincerity means when they get around, they're like they're doing this from the heart. Yeah. Like when someone, you know, that's right what motive. I appreciate about you and I'm, all the people listening to this podcast. I've known you a long time. You know, you have those traits. People would see you as very authentic, but they don't realize what a learner you are and how intentional you are. But people who know you like I know you, it's from the heart. Right. And and I think that the greatest opportunity in a world today 
that is virtually connected but relationally isolated, a world today who has a lot of information but is bad picture, overexposed and underdeveloped, like they mm-hmm. got a lot of exposure to stuff. Yeah. I would say that sincere leader that says, from my heart, I want you to become who God's called you to be. I think the opportunities are endless. Yeah. I think about many teachers, not many fathers. True. If we can, as leaders, win in the right areas and build legacy, then we can be the fathers, whether biological or spiritual, at home or in the business to young people coming up with authenticity, intentionality, and sincerity in their hearts. It's true. It's been so good. Thanks for being on the podcast. Enjoyed it, man. 